0: welcome to you guys five movies this is when your co-host chris Gaspar. this is frank pelican you're listening to episode 154 and we're covering the top five horror movies of 1976 as we continue through each year of the 1970s this year um frank how are you feeling about tonight's list
1: it's a good list oh. um i think it's the least traditional list maybe that we've done so far in terms yeah. of um just sort of like the themes behind the movies um and
0: yeah i don't know they were all enjoyable more eclectic yeah then
1: um actually that's a trend now that i think about next year as well um both of these lists are very eclectic but um i mean there's really three movies that can almost be not even considered like horror you know um i don't know yeah we'll we'll talk about that when we get to each movie in, in turn um so do you see anything that you would
0: want to talk about right now that you see thematically like kind of like happening or changing in horror what i always ask you every month
1: um sorry no, chil-
0: i'm starting to see children develop here
1: yeah well i mean that's been we just haven't ever talked about those movies because i typically don't like them very much but not that i dislike them but they have to be done really well to me um effective but i mean the same year you know you've got um the omen is out this year so that's um children alice sweet alice is out this year which is also about a child um so yeah i guess there maybe is something to that um typically though like with horror it's just a reaction to something else kind of if that makes sense so it's like something was popular and there's movies that move in to try and kind of like play off that popularity to bring people into the theaters um this was a really difficult list to make this year because a couple of my favorite um horror movies from the 70s are were released in 76 Mm -hmm. um so both carrie and the omen are 76 um but i'm kind of holding off on carrie because i'm assuming at some point we got to do like a king adaptation list Mm-hmm. um and i'd want to keep carry for that and then um uh, we've talked about the omen before um right although the omen might be one of my <clears throat> like up up in league with like texas chainsaw um movies that i think about the most often um just in terms of like scenes from that movie um i really yeah, like the omen a lot i know you
0: do i that's when when we watched it i think last year um it's the first time i've seen it since i was young i still I, i'll be i tried to figure it out then like what it is that you you you're so fascinated with with that movie i mean i think it's fine but um it it doesn't hold the same appeal to to me for some reason i never understood it but i think it's really
1: well acted and really well filmed Mm -hmm. um and i think there's some i think especially in the early goings of the omen like before it gets really like apocalyptic towards the end um like the you know uh babysitter nursemaid whatever i'll pair the this this is it's all for you damien this is all for you and then just like hanging herself i mean stuff like that is mm-hmm. so um jarring the first time you see it and i think really effectively done um i don't know i mean there's just some really good stuff and in, in, i think and yeah
0: i mean look it's just like poetry and you know any art like you know where it's like something speak to you more than others yeah, so, yeah. but yeah it, it's always plus, interesting
1: devil devil cult possession movies are very um very hit or miss for me so the ones that i really like i tend to really like a lot and then the ones that i dislike i tend to like just kind of hate but um right. yeah you know this movie does it effectively um another movie on this list that we'll talk about that i think is pretty effective at the way that it kind of like sets it up um it's kind of like we talked about uh satanic rights you know in what was that 72 or whatever Mm -hmm. um 73 um i really kind of enjoy the idea of the The secret like governmental conspiracy type thing you know like where or the secret conspiracy among like the wealthy to somehow gain like even more power by like adhering to you know satanism or some like offshoot of satanism um and i think that that's a i think it's a cool idea that here's this you know this u.s what is he's a diplomat i guess he's the ambassador or whatever Mm -hmm. um that's kind of like just being used because of his wealth and position, um, to kind of surreptitiously like raise the son of Satan. I, I don't know. I, yeah, this isn't this, this is not the time to talk about the, um, um, but the Carrie, was I love the time was last year when we already talked about right. it. Right. <laughs> um, there's a movie called drive and massacre that I've thought about putting on a couple different lists that I really love that's this, this year. Um, Toby Hooper's uh Texas Chainsaw Follow Up Eaten Alive is this year. Um, there's a really good movie that's like a early like serial killer movie kind of um before that term became like overly like popularized. It's kind of off the built off like the Daniel DeFeo case from Amityville. Um, called god told me to that's really good that's 76 um one of my favorite low budget like uh gross out horror movies squirm about um irradiated uh earthworms that end up eating people in the town that's 76 um and then a movie that i kind of like go back and forth on because i find it to be really plotting important parts that's considered super super influential in the town that dreaded sundown is 76 Mm -hmm. um there's just something about that movie that like i can never truly like i don't know i mean i think it's really well done and i think it's an interesting idea um and definitely one of the more iconic movies from the 70s like from our childhood in terms of like movies that everybody had seen but um i don't know just something about it but still a good movie Mm -hmm. so and a lot of the stuff on this list i kind of wanted to talk about because i feel like they're They're great movies that are lesser known movies in a lot of ways. Like, people don't talk about them as much. Um, so
0: why why do you, I mean, do you think it's just a coincidence that you end up having so many in your mind, like good horror movies coming out in this year? Or do you think
1: there's some sort of impetus to that that like led to that happening? You had The Exorcist and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre that made, you know, in terms of like, the ratio of cost to make to you know um box office draw that had come out in previous years that probably spurred a lot of people to
0: <clears throat>
1: a lot of like major studios to reconsider horror um in terms of what they were putting out um you know you still have hammer putting stuff out at this point although this is kind of towards the dwindling days of their lives um there's still a lot of giallo coming out now this is like the boom after like Fulci and um, Argento and Bava kind of made the genre like more popular so you see a lot of more um creative giallo and I think there's always like some aside from like the ridiculous you know like pseudo-psychological reasoning behind like any giallo there's always some interesting like artistry behind those movies mm-hmm. um And then I think there's, you're getting a lot more foreign horror being like bought for cheap um, by American distribution companies and released over here. Um, Which leads to, you know, I think there's more being made. Uh, At this point, they've kind of moved away from the spaghetti western uh, and the like gangster thriller. And you're getting a lot more like foreign horror and they're able to do a lot more because there's a lot less censorship at this point especially in the u.s and we're still a couple years away from the video nasties of britain so um wide release like grindhouse movies that can be bought by a production studio or distribution studio for cheap and released on like you know a couple hundred screens thousand screens whatever um where they make like you know 200 300 profit off of everything because they didn't pay anything for the movie um, i think that's a big part of stuff getting released and seen and then what leads to kind of in the you know five six years from this point in in history of the large wave of the vhs releases of these kind of movies so mm-hmm. um so obviously there's no vhs now but you have your you know your concrete box movie theaters that whatever like dollar double matinee or whatever that these people can release their films in and to great success you know like you look at stuff like um like success stories from the early 70s and not a horror movie you know like sweet sweet Specs, Badass song um making you know tons of money on almost no budget and being like independently released i think there's right and corman i mean roger corman had kind of proven him and william castle for um the better part of like two decades at this point that you can invest very little money in a film and as long as you put some effort into it like it can be pretty profitable so yeah ultimately that's what it's mostly about is and a lot of these things are and corman was the king of this was taking people that were fresh out of film school or who had shown some modicum of talent and giving them an opportunity to film you know, a genre film to kind of hone their skills there. So you're getting a lot of people that are sort of, I think delving into that because it gives them more freedom to be experimental because there's not as much expectation that you're making a movie that's going to appeal to the masses, but you're still doing, you know, basically whatever you want. So I think that, um, from an artistic standpoint, that's probably really appealing.
0: Yeah. That's, I wonder that it's like, because there's more of a, Yeah. Yeah, because there's more money behind it. There's more potential to make money that you end up getting more people in than just by sheer numbers. you're And because they're so young, a lot of them trying to get in the film that they end up doing it. So you end up having a lot more talent potentially starting out in horror and doing different things and new things. And yeah, maybe that explains why the lists
1: kind of are all over the place too in terms of being so electric. Yeah. I mean, people kind of look at the 80s as being the heyday of horror, but this is where that starts you know from the, the mid to late 70s because um, this is where you're going to get friday the 13th and halloween and um the exorcist and they start to build you know franchises out of these things um directors start to become like known as being horror directors and you really hadn't had that in a lot of ways since really like the the heyday of the universal horror films where they were more or less considered marketable mainstream movies so i think again i think that seeing movies like the exorcist you know being like the number one movie in america at one point and texas chainsaw making you know so much money over its budget i think that really like pushed studios and investors to look at horror as being a a viable viable genre from a money-making standpoint so
0: uh satanic rights by the way is not up on hbo max i'm not saying we're responsible for that whatsoever but um it's it's up now
1: but we are i'd like to believe so but whatever i know fucking residuals from it so fuck them <laughs> just a goddamn zach brief pipeline right Uh all
0: right you ready to get started then yeah yeah all right so number five on your list is to the devil <clears throat> a daughter directed by peter sykes it stars richard widmark christopher lee honor blackman denholm elliott and nastasia kinski and has a 45 percent from critics on around tomatoes 37 38 sorry from audiences so you want to tell us a little bit about this one and why you made the list
1: uh so <clears throat> one of the last hammer films maybe it's definitely the last hammer film with christopher lee for like a long time um one of the last major hammer releases uh, this is a sort of combination of kind of the themes in the omen mixed with um a little bit of like the exorcist So it's a it's based off a novel from the 60s um, that was pretty altered pretty heavily for the movie but it follows um, john verney who's a uh, occult writer uh, from america who lives in britain um, and is considered to be like this um, kind of darling of the burgeoning like bourgeois like occultist movement um, with the books that he writes um, he's approached by the den home character who asks him to pick his daughter up uh, from the airport um, and take care of her like until he comes to get her um The daughter is raised by uh, christopher lee and some nuns in this monastery that's on an island Um, the opening scene of the movie you see christopher lee get um, excommunicated by the catholic church Um, so he's obviously doing something like illicit Uh, but you find out that uh, lee has formed a uh, an order like a heretical offshoot of the catholic church called the children of the lord um that he's in charge of he's like i guess like whatever the bishop or pope of this order um and their goal is to basically <coughs> bring about the birth of um Astaroth through uh this child that they've raised uh for whatever 18 years um in the movie to basically be the vessel for the return of this demon Astaroth to the the mortal plane um so elliot kind of loses his nerve for it and wants to save his daughter so he puts her with varney because he figures that varney is like the one guy that can protect her um so then the order is trying to um get her back by using like black magic and other satanic means (coughs) Mm, sorry goodness um verney discovers uh discovers her secret so they start murdering his friends um he uses his knowledge of the occult to kind of like fight him off and try and rescue katherine um, but she's eventually taken back by the lee character um and they have her set up in this satanic ceremony to receive the avatar of Astaroth or the you know the spirit of Astaroth. um but vernie uses his ability to save her in the end um taking her out away from from rainer um this is by far the nostalgia pick of the movies on this list um for a couple of reasons uh first of all it's a movie that i saw 14 or 15 years old probably was the first time i saw this movie um to the devil a daughter for the longest time was one of the big box horror vhs's um i don't know if you remember that there was the regular like normal sleeve vhs's that would be on the shelves but a lot of the movies like this toolbox murders um make them die slowly uh i can't um anyway there was a bunch that were like the big clamshell deep red was another one that had a big box um boxes that would be like prominently displayed like right when you were walking down the horror aisle And being a, you know, 15-year-old pervert, this one had Natasha Kinski in a see-through, like, slip um, on the front of it. So, you could basically, like, she was naked on the front of this box. Mm -hmm. Um, So, really appealing, like, cover to a, you know, whatever, um, 15-year-old. But the other thing, too, about this movie is that it's very heavily sampled by Rob Zombie in the second White Zombie album, Mm -hmm. um, Astro Group 2000. Um, in particular the excommunication um, segment Then then uh, Christopher Lee saying it is not heresy and I will not recant uh, which I think is a great fucking line um, I love Christopher Lee in this movie this might be one of my favorite Christopher Lee performances from the 70s um, because he's so coldly self-assured like in his evil that there's right. There's no real hamminess to it, you know. It's very um I don't know. I just think it's a really great, like, tight performance on his part. Um, Denholm Elliot you know, doesn't last very long, but is really good, I think, in his role. Um Varney is feels like a guy who's I think kind of what he's supposed to be in this movie, which is a a guy that's maybe a little bit past his prime and maybe relying a little bit too much on um, his previous work or whatever, and just kind of like living a life, but then sort of like finds this purpose through kind of having this mission shoved on him. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that Kinski is really good in it too. Um, This is probably an uncomfortable movie for people to watch in the modern day because Kinski was so young when she filmed it. Yeah. And there's full frontal nudity from her, so I've always wondered like how they got away with that in releasing yeah. in the US because I think I'd, she's like 14 or 15 when she's filmed this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um even though the character is presented as a 15-year-old like it still is um you know yeah. Definitely yeah. like outside the realm of comfort. Um but I really like I love the mixing of their own made-up mythology with like the Astaroth shit but also legitimate like demonology and Catholicism in it mm-hmm. um, it gives it a very believable I think um, I think because a lot of times part of the problem when you see like especially when they introduce the Catholic Church we watched we talked about vampires last year for one of the podcasts the John Carpenter yeah. movie mm mm-hmm. Um, And part of the problem there is that they have the Catholic church as this entity in it, but it all just feels kind of fake and sort of like half-assed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's a little boring in segments of this movie, especially when Varney's like doing his research and talking to people. And I think there's a real like strong element of believability to him, you know, kind of being an occultist and sort of learning these things and um, the power of like the words of, the latin words of uh whatever like the rituals of the catholic church um i always find this stuff really interesting and i think this is a really good example of it being done exactly right so oh it's it's also relying on woodmark's you know uh history of
0: being usually a detective in a lot of old film noir movies um and portraying him as like an occult detective sure, almost perfect. in this and it and, and it acts as more of like kind of a detective story um, I do think that still leads to, like, some real downtime in
1: this movie. Uh, agreed. And, again, this is, like, all things being equal, like, there are better movies from this year, I think. But from a nostalgia point of view, it really is my, you know, one of my favorite um, movies from when I was a kid. Um, uncomfortable, you know, child nudity aside. Right.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed it more than I did 15 years ago. I, I thought it was more watchable than it was 15 years ago. I was like less bored with it. I was I was able to, I really liked the Denholm, Elliot, Christopher Lee scenes. Um, that's particularly the one in the church. Uh, I really liked a lot. I liked the way that was handled, the way it was acted. I, You mentioned the idea of him like learning like the, you know, words and stuff like that. I really love that idea of going down into the basement where there's all like the occult books and stuff that the Catholic church is keeping. Like, I think that's a really interesting, uh, scene and yeah. idea. Um, so I think there's a lot of stuff that's like worthwhile in this movie. I will say though, man, the end, I don't know. I try to read about it. It seemed like there was some production stuff maybe that happened towards the end of this, but man, it just feels rushed and coming out of nowhere. Um, like, and yeah,
1: that was, like, um... five minutes. <clears throat> That was one of the biggest complaints, I think, from uh, the dude that wrote the book. Um, Dennis Wheatley. Are you familiar with him? I don't know him, no. Um, Let me look. There's... So he wrote some stuff that I guess was an inspiration for the 007 books. Hmm. Let me find. Then he wrote a couple of books that were like a cult so there's the devil a daughter and a book called the satanists um super like pissed off about the ending of this movie and how they just kind of um sort of fucked up his uh (laughs) fucked up his novel Mm. but hammer was just trying to make money at that point i mean they're a, a failing studio and there's not a lot of people that are super interested in um their traditional style of like movie making at this point so you know i think they're just going for whatever they can it's also a co-production between them and some german company Mm -hmm. um so there might also be some issues with just to like the co-production kind of like going off the rails a little bit yeah i mean for whatever you can say about the flaws of the movie i think it's really well shot um there's a lot of interesting things to it i think um it captures what i consider to be like like the menacing mod britain of the 70s sort of if that makes any sense and it's some that's something that i really enjoy is like that that idea of like britain kind of being or london kind of being this like swinging place with all these hipsters and stuff but just that long long buried like undercurrent of almost like druidic like solstice magic or whatever um through the um you know the satanists and the astaroth stuff so
0: yeah it's funny this is a time period where i still for some reason when i watch it find that believable like i think it's maybe just because it was a little bit before i was born um that it's like this time period is where it's possible that like this ancient kind of religion underground working its will is still not almost like a joke to me where it's like if i see a movie in 2022 that comes out with a similar concept i don't really find it as believable whatsoever so
1: to illustrate your point look at something like hot fuzz you know what i mean i mean that's a perfect example of right the idea of this movie but taken to a ridiculous extreme to be a comedy mm-hmm. um because it is it's, it's ridiculous but there's so many movies from the 60s and 70s that kind of take that idea of the forgotten town or um that leprechaun movie i watched for the spin chagrin for the wwe movies um that was supposedly at hornswoggle but didn't really have hornswoggle um that was the same thing. You know, it's this town that is hidden away and that has these ancient traditions and it's always the same. It's like this occult order that has their own ancient traditions and is trying to bring about the end of the world through x you know, demonic character from mythology. So, I don't know. Yeah. But I think it works here and again I think this is one of my favorite Christopher I definitely one of my favorite Lee performances from the 70s. I think that he really like owns um the Rainer character um so yeah I don't, I don't know that i would recommend it to anyone except for people that really enjoy like um satanic horror or you know like occultist call to star or whatever um but you know i think it's so so fun to watch i still enjoyed it
0: yeah it's definitely to me like one of those like saturday afternoon movies um it's like a fun watch like And you're just, like, laying around on a Saturday afternoon. Sure.
1: That was a lot of the movies I watched as a kid. Right. All right. So number four on your list is Who Can Kill a
0: Child? It is directed by Narciso Ibanez Serrador. It stars Louis Fiander and Prunella Ransom there's no rating available from critics on Rotten Tomatoes although the like five reviews that are up are pretty glowing and it has a 79
1: percent from audiences which honestly shocked me but um well you got to consider the audience's rate in this movie so sure. it's like this is something that a lot of people are watching right right so you want to tell us a little bit about this and uh why it's on the list uh, so this is one of the movies that when we were talking doing the intro I said this is one of the ones you probably could consider it almost not even be horror. Mm -hmm. Um, because largely the horror element doesn't come into play until maybe halfway through the movie, maybe even a little more than that. Yeah. Um, where it's like truly like pushing you into the idea that this is a a horror movie. Um, couple is on the, so the movie opens with newsreel footage of the atrocities of the 20th century, basically. So, vietnam the holocaust um some other things that i was not aware of that actually i haven't seen this movie in like probably 15 years before i watched it this week so some stuff that i had forgotten about but sort of like talking about the number of total people killed in these like armed conflicts in these countries and then the number of children that are the portion of that and it's always some like dispiritingly large amount of like children that are killed during these conflicts um so after this grim beginning it takes you to this couple who's on vacation in spain um an american couple american man and british woman maybe um anyway they're non-spanish english native native english speakers um the man has a decent command of spanish and can speak it woman speaks no spanish at all um they're on vacation and they're deciding where they're going to go um, to continue their vacation. And the man wants to go to this Island um, that he's heard is beautiful. Um, So you find out that she's pregnant. Um, It's very much, it's very, a very soft and slow beginning that's like leading them to this Island. So they decide to rent a boat, go across the sea to stay on this Island for whatever like a week or something a few days whatever it is um so you get to learn a lot about them about their relationship with each other um it's a loving relationship you know they're both pretty likable characters for the most part um so they go to the island and when they get there there's some children playing on the pier um who jump in the water and kind of bring their boat in and tie it up Um, but really won't talk to him Uh, the man tries to engage with the kid that's fishing and the kid won't let him look in his basket of his bait basket because the guy's like oh what are you fishing for like what kind of bait are you using he sort of standoffish so they go through the town and they can't find anybody in the town so at this point the movie is just sort of like a mystery kind of and you see like windows or open or like shutters open and close um they catch it out of the corner of their eye like maybe a curtain moves um one of my one of i think most effective shots in the movie is they're in a i wouldn't call it a convenience store but a little like grocery like a grocer um looking for people and trying to find food and the shot is done from the ground level like following the man walk through the aisle but it's done from the adjacent aisle, so it's shooting like underneath the aisles, like at his feet Mm -hmm. and it pans past the corpse of a woman who's been obviously like mutilated and like murdered um but that he can't see because he's got the shelving between them so it starts to slowly build the idea that something's really wrong on the island right um and eventually you find out that what's happened is all the adults on the island um sans one dude have been murdered or at least in the town, by the children of the town. So God bless him. Um what's the actor's name? I've already forgotten. Uh Lewis Fiander is maybe the least emotive actor ever. Mm-hmm. Um like he's discovering these things, including finding like dead bodies and stuff. He's always very non-plussed by everything. Like, there's no urgency really to kind of like leave he's just kind of like exploring around um so they eventually find another guy uh who has survived on the island um and they try to kind of stay away from the children um there's a they don't really ever explain like what it is but the children can kind of like it's sort of like uh the cage movie um mom and dad but in reverse where it's almost a communicable disease between like the youth of the island where when they look in each other's eyes, they gain this like murderous intent towards adults. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, the, the movie wears its, its theme on its sleeve. I mean, the theme is we treat children like too brutally, like there's too much death among children in the world. And um, basically like, you know, we need to treat children better and it's just doing it through the like kind of a schlocky like horror element. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> so anyway, so the guy that's on the island with him gets led away and murdered um by his daughter, I guess, or a young girl. Um, so it leaves the man and the woman who escape from the group of children and hide out in um I guess it's a church or something, it's a, a, a building. Um he ends up murdering a kid with a gun who's leading in a window and sh- about to shoot the wife with a, um, a revolver which momentarily kind of like cows all the children while they take the body away um so they have a moment of respite but then her unborn child kills her from inside um which is a pretty shocking moment when it happens i think when you see it for the first time yeah um so he's left alone and he takes the gun and goes to the boat to get away and he's just like shooting children while he's doing this a police boat comes upon it and like basically witnesses him like murdering people like murdering these children so he gets shot to death um and the police officers disembark and they get on the island and they're kind of looking around for the adults meanwhile the kids get on their boat and take their their arms and murder them um and the last scene is the children you know like commandeering that boat and some other boats and kind of like the idea that they're going to go to the mainland and what's the line like do you think the do you think the other kids will want to play like we do or something like that yeah. so the implication being that they're going to spread you know to basically take out all the adults of the right. world um, which i guess in like the hmm. metaphorical um, or whatever the subtext of this movie is the way to end wars to basically like kill all the adults and just the children start over so right um i really effectively shot like i i kind of it kind of reminds me of um antonioni a little bit the way that they film the scenes in the streets Mm -hmm. um it's got a very very hazy feel to it but you know like it feels like hot um and it feels claustrophobic like the quiet and the abandonedness and the intermittent laughter of children or like kids like running past them um and then when it finally escalates it gets into the real horror like one of the more memorable scenes in the movie i think is towards the end where um the husband goes into i guess it's like a barn or something and the kids have strung up a corpse like a pinata and are swinging at it with a scythe um which i think is freaking like brilliantly filmed and mm-hmm. um but it's a really good slow burn movie you know it it takes a long time to get to the point where um it kind of cuts your feet out from under you but it's definitely like giving you small hints throughout the entire time of what's coming um again i think like god bless him the dude is just very wooden in the way that he acts a lot of the times um he's got weird deliveries too but the wife is good um the kids and their limited like use because they're basically just kind of like antagonists more or less or silently watching or whatever i mean they're pretty 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 horrific in the way that they use them um definitely one of the better like killer children movies i think Mm -hmm. in existence and just fun like just enjoyable to watch and the first time you see it i think it's pretty shocking um especially because he is literally like mowing down children with a submachine gun or whatever um so yeah it's a good movie yeah i think that's the one thing i
0: texted you was that i think this is probably the best killer children movie that i've ever seen as someone who absolutely usually despises killer children movies and uh i really like this i can see where some people could get bored in the first hour potentially um i didn't necessarily but i liked the way that the tension was built it's more of the way i like horror movies often is is this the slow little like reveals until like the actual plot really kind of like solidifies right. so I, I liked it overall i thought the chase scene with the husband and wife was pretty good you're right he doesn't emote when he first discovers like the kids using the uh, person as a pinata
1: um the, when, the f- he, when he when he discovers anything he's just oh, right. just like yes. hmm. yeah
0: <laughs> um there's a particular face that he makes though like when he when he opens that door and sees it and it's um absurd uh and the, the my one criticism is that i felt like it besides the killing of the children which is shocking to see i felt like there was something that there was like an emotional core missing to it and maybe it is him i don't know but it feels like uh to some degree that it's like it, there could have been more there with the couple, I think that like just wasn't there that maybe would make me root for them a little bit more other than just merely the fact that they I don't know have a bunch of kids that are trying to kill them but um but yeah, no, it's 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 a good movie um i I wasn't expecting it. I had never heard of it until you put it on this list like ever. So, um, I was pleasantly surprised like watching it. Um, really, good. really surprised I never forced you to watch it because I have a um, no, you, your 20 list that you've sent me over time, like of like movies I should like, our movies I should watch. It's probably been on every single one of them, I think,
1: but like, well, yeah. I mean, it's something that I feel like I would have like let you borrow too because I own it on mm-hmm. DVDs. So, yeah, uh, no, yeah, whatever. You got to watch it now. Yeah, no, I liked it um it's free on youtube if anybody cares to watch it um but it's non-subtitled on youtube so anything that's said in spanish you would either know spanish or you know go after yourself i guess um,
0: yeah i can't remember i guess i must have rented it
1: through youtube or something like mm-hmm. that um probably but yeah. <laughs> was the spanish subtitled for you I actually felt like it was really effective so I know it's just because of the transfer that they had but it's I, I think there's something to the idea of like because in reality the woman is the main character of the movie like up to a certain point the the the, the couple is but she's like I think supposed to be your sympathetic character like the person mm-hmm. that you kind of invest in and I actually find it really effective when she doesn't understand the language and you know people that wouldn't speak Spanish wouldn't understand it. and I think that kind of like helps because you're still getting context from the stuff that the her husband's saying to her and what's occurring around her but you don't like if you don't speak Spanish you don't get the entire right and I speak Spanish and there's still with some of it because it's like Spanish Spanish like from Spain um that was like lost on me so I don't know I found that to be kind of effective
0: yeah I can see that sure
1: Put you in like her um point of view,
0: but yeah, I no, I definitely think it's worth checking out. I was shocked by the seventy nine percent from audiences, but you, you're right, I mean, there's only certain people that are gonna be watching this movie i'm I'm assuming,
1: but um, yeah, there's a remake of this movie too, just so you know, yeah, mhm
0: is that is that worth worth oh no, nothing's okay. ever worth
1: watching right okay, <laughs> um right. two thousand. 2012 maybe or something like that i can't remember
0: it does it adds nothing new to 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 this i don't need to maybe i was
1: in a bad place when i saw it i didn't find it to be very interesting and i thought it was kind of unnecessary yeah i think this movie does exactly what it sets out to do um which is take a high-minded idea and like kind of deliver it through what traditionally we consider you know like a low-minded delivery method Mm -hmm. um yeah i think it's really well directed i think that it's um appropriately mysterious until it gets chilling until it gets like horrifying and i think it ramps that well and i think it's beautiful like i think it's really well shot so
0: yeah all right. Um, so number three on your list is The Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane. It is directed by Nicholas Gessner. It stars Jodie Foster, Martin Sheen, Scott Jacoby, and Alexis Smith. It has a 93% from critics and 75% from audience on Rotten Tomatoes. So you want to tell us a little bit about this one and uh why it's in your top five?
1: So another one that maybe maybe is a stretch to call horror. Um because it's more of a mm, it's horror. psychological coming of age yeah horror. I don't murder yeah murder <laughs> I mean, it's, it's um like so Jodie Foster plays the titular little girl um she lives in a house uh, ostensibly with her um what is he British expat like poet father Mm-hmm. Um, who's always translating like Russian poems in the study or taking a nap or visiting his publisher in New York? Um, she runs a of the busybody like matron of the town that kind of runs everything and owns the real estate company that's running the house to the author. Um who's very a very interesting character because she she's villainous not because of her actions but more because of her attitude and the mm-hmm. way that she automatically assumes that because she's older and she's wealthy that she has the ability to talk down to and order around like this person um so foster plays the character uh very self-assured um with like a dry like a Cerbic wit sort of to her um martin sheen plays this creep uh that's the son of the realtor lady uh who forces his way into her house and only leaves under the threat of her calling her father. Um, but and really like kind of in a brilliant way in the way that this movie's written is implied that he's molested other children before, but never gotten like serious um punishment for it because of his relation to his mother and his mother runs the town. But no yeah the officer like
0: the officer hints at that. Yeah. Well
1: yeah, but they never go into like the gross like salient details of like what he's done. Just the idea that he's dangerous to little children and Right, um, Sheen does a fantastic job throughout the movie of like slowly like elevating that creepiness mm-hmm. um in a really like menacing way um i had really brilliant- really great performances all around, yeah, um, so she ends up the woman ends up coming into the house um to get jelly jars, but then tells jodie Foster that she's gonna do everything she can to kick them out, even though they have a three year lease. Um, so when she's getting these these jelly jars she realizes they're lacking the rubber seals and it's actually one of my favorite lines it's like, oh, practically useless without the rubber seals <sighs> so the woman decides to go down in the cellar which Jodie Foster tried to keep her out of um, and you hear her like basically like gasp in horror and as she's coming back up she knocks the door to the cellar down which hits her on the head um, and kills her so Jody Foster hides the body and is going out to hide the car when this kid wearing a magician costume comes by um, and they start talking and he takes a, an immediate interest in you know why she's trying to hide the car or trying to get rid of it because he knows like whose it is um, mrs. Hallett is the name of the, the woman because mrs. Hallett drives it everywhere um, so he ends up basically helping her cover up the the murder um, and they fall in love and they have this you know like he's how old is she in this movie 13 or 14 i think is what it's, it said yeah thirteen. Um, she,
0: it's her it's her 13th birthday at the very
1: beginning of the movie yeah right you're right and he's what like 16 17 yeah um he has i i guess a polio maybe but he's um has a physical handicap that causes him to limp um so they form a relationship and what you find out is that her father had taken her away from her mother, who was kind of a money-grubbing, unfaithful, you know, whatever, that wanted nothing to do with raising her as a child. So he had kind of stolen her away to America to raise her on his own. But then he got really sick and he died. So he wandered into the ocean and basically perished, but left her with enough money and um, instructions of basically how to take care of herself so that she wouldn't have to be subject to someone, you know, unworthy of her kind of raising her. Um, so she's doing everything she can, everything she can to hide the fact that he's dead. Um, the boyfriend's um, uncle is a police officer in the town. Uh, um, who also suspects that the father, there's something up with the father. Um, but when he comes to the house one day the father comes downstairs and talks to him and talks about how much his translation takes out of him and offers to sign a book for him and then you find out that that was actually uh, Mario the boyfriend in disguise Um, but eventually Martin Sheen breaks in one night and sort of in a really fucking I don't know like it's crazy if you watch Martin Sheen and you know him from his later work especially in the 80s or you know from something like the west wing to see him here right. yeah. as just like this absolute like creep really effective performances, this creepy like it pedophile yeah. and bu- like bully he's just a um i don't know just a, a tyrant kind of um he gets chased away by maria who has a sword in his cane but when they're burying the body of um the mother and the mrs hallett Um, Mario gets sick he gets pneumonia so he's in the hospital so she's alone Um, so you find out the way that she killed her mother was that her mother had found out about um, them leaving and had come to kind of check on her and um, she poised her with arsenic in her uh, in her tea Um, and that's how she ended up in the basement so Martin Sheen comes and he's she sort of pretends she seemingly acquiesces to his overtures that they're going to have this sexual relationship and she's going to be kind of like his servant under the threat of him revealing like the death of the father and the mother and his own mother. Um, so in a very uh princess bride esque way, um, Jodie Foster's character puts the poison in her drink and then serves him. The drink and he switches the cups because he suspects that she might have done something and ends up drinking the poison and then dying at the end um implying that she's going to be able to continue on sort of just like living in this house and raising herself so um really great performances by everybody in the movie yes. uh i really like i mean sheen is freaking amazing especially playing against type from what we would think of as his type like from his later career um foster's a really powerful performance here very very akin to her um taxi driver role sort of mm-hmm. like the um wise beyond her years um like perky youthful whatever protagonist um i lo- really love the guy that plays me the roti the cop um i think yeah. he's got like a genuine charm to him um, yeah. just so you know that guy
0: mort schumann is his name Mm. mort schumann is not an actor do you know anything about mort schumann i don't mort schumann was part of a a a songwriting team he's known as a singer pianist and songwriter um co-wrote uh this magic moment "Save the last dance for me um viva las vegas (laughs) like uh really really accomplished um singer songwriter but um and i thought he like does perfectly as like this kind of like you know kind caring
1: slight comedic
0: relief character
1: um he really feels like a like just a blue collar small town dude in the way that he carries himself and yeah i just thought um, that was
0: interesting because i thought he did a really good job too and didn't know him and looked him up but it's like yeah, yeah he's like
1: massively popular so this is another movie that um little uncomfortable to watch in the modern sense just because of not only the themes but um the idea of this 13 year old kid like sort of entering into a sexual relationship um not only with her boyfriend which she does willingly but like the forced sexual relationship that's implied to you know be imminent with martin sheen um there's nudity in this movie but it's her older sister that did it Mm -hmm. um who was 18 at the time so it's not quite as like right uncomfortable is uh, to the devil a daughter um and this was the era of there was a lot more acceptability to that kind of stuff where people sort of turn to blind eyes so sure um kind of good that we've moved past like those moments i think yeah but um, i will
0: say even with the nudity and stuff in it i didn't feel as like creeped out watching this movie because i think there's such a heart behind it like, right well in- it's
1: it's it's not exploitive in the scene that it's done in they're just consummating their love together basically yes. um yes so yeah so not not in the same way that to, to the devil a daughter is selling you nudity to get you to watch the movie yeah, this, is, yeah. this is a natural part of the script um and again it's not done to be exploitive at all yes. just right agree yeah i think it's really well written um I think that even though you kind of you know the quote-unquote twists of the movie I think it's really interesting the way they reveal the hows and whys of how all that stuff happened Mm -hmm. Um, especially through Foster kind of being your like narrator by proxy in a lot of ways um, because she's so good in it Uh, yeah it's um, very bleak it's set kind of in the late late winter early spring i suppose because yeah. that's how he it feel, gets sick. it feels very blue even though it's not mm-hmm. very blue it feels very blue it's funny you mentioned that because i always think about um there's a scene where she's walking to town and she's going across like this footbridge and on the other side sheen is parked in his car mm-hmm. and he's um basically trying to like coerce her to get in his car with him um man man that character is so it is. well it's, written and creepy like he I, is dude
0: it's the uh, and this sounds ridiculous it's the
1: best child molester ever seen it it really is and it's also because it's like it's not grotesque in the sense of them showing you things it's grotesque in the implication yes of everything that martin sheen does and every like look that he gives and mm-hmm. um he's doing very martin
0: sheen things but he's doing them in a way that is really just i don't know conjures up uh something dark out of himself and and unpredictable Um, yeah because
1: there's there's that glad hand glad handing like song and dance man martin sheen that i mm -hmm. think most people think of him as that has this like undercurrent of like sadomasochism and um domination and depravity underneath it and like the looks and the way he talks and the way he like smokes this oh my god he murders her gerbil
0: oh my god it's the best i think it's the best scene in the movie wasn't he interrupts their dinner that's so uncomfortable yeah like new boyfriend or whatever like
1: yeah so they're having dinner together right so i guess we should talk about more about that kind of stuff so they're having dinner together and sheen forces his way in um and won't leave because at this point, like he's figured out that the father either doesn't exist or is somehow incapacitated. So isn't a threat to him. Um, So he starts kind of ordering him around and sort of doing a, um, I hate this word, but trying to like cuck the boyfriend almost like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do whatever I want to your little girlfriend. There's nothing you can do to stop me because I'm an Mm -hmm. adult and I have the power. Um, So she has a, it's a hamster, not a gerbil, but she has this hamster that's her pet and he goes and takes the hamster out of the cage and is smoking a cigarette and then like mimes like he's going to put the cigarette out on the hamster and then actually does and then throws the hamster into the fire and it's just awful it's so like uncomfortable and it feels every every scene with him is done so perfectly to make him believable but to turn you so that when he gets his comeuppance at the end of the movie by drinking the poison, you're so on board with that death. Like it's not even, yes, it's so justified that you kind of feel, um, it's almost like a feel good ending in a lot of ways that she, you know, she's able to get rid of him. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. It's a movie that I don't think gets talked about a whole lot. And I don't know if that's because of kind of the uncomfortable nature of it, or maybe it's just overshadowed by, two people that were really prominent actors in the 1980s who went on to do like much bigger things than this small little um horror thriller or whatever um but really worth watching um
0: yeah this this is out of the movies that i haven't seen of the 70s so far and i never seen this before this is my favorite out of all of them so far like i i absolutely love this movie and i think basically anybody that likes movies should go watch it because you're right it's not it's a horror movie but it's not like a traditional horror movie necessarily like but it's still horror. um but yeah i i can't rave about this movie enough i think it's uh excellent i think uh martin sheen is absolutely from and jody foster are both absolutely phenomenal in it. i think the whole cast does a good job and
1: yeah yeah, yeah i agree yeah um it was really it was very difficult to order four through one on this list for me because there's mm-hmm. things about each of these movies that i really love and then i think at different points in my life i would have said like oh yeah that's like definitely the best out of this list of five movies um so really there's no like aside from the number five movie which was to me the obvious number five it's just like one one a through one d more <laughs> or less right so that's my weak ass way of um <laughs> Not having to take a stand or make a <laughs> decision. Right. Equivocal. Um, equivocate. I like equivocating. Okay. All right. With that, let's move on to number two. Why are you trying to rush me? i ain't rushing
0: shit. What, is, what did you have to eat tonight? What did you, what did you order My out? My dad made
1: right um, cooked flank steak on the grill and cut them oh, awesome. into. Thin slices, and we had tacos. Oh, that sounds really good. It was pretty delicious. Huh. Some sautéed onions, you know, fresh salsa, um, hmm. sour cream, cheese, delicious.
0: Hmm.
1: It was a good nice. dinner. All right. Okay, now let's move on to number two. I also uh. didn't eat lunch today because I went to get my my passport shit done, like at lunchtime. Right, And because I'm a fucking corporate asshole like i was like well i guess i could go get lunch now but i wouldn't get back to work until two so i really need to get back to work so i just got back to work just Let them um, suck the fucking soul out of you. friends <laughs> well only so i can suck the soul out of other people you know <laughs> <laughs> that's not true i we we had a really good day today anyway let's move on to number two it's right, so number two on the
0: list uh the house with laughing windows it is directed by Poopy Avanti. It stars Lynn Capolicchio, Francesca Marciano, and Johnny Covina. It has also has no rating from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, and it has a
1: 71% from audiences. So, you want to tell us a little bit about
0: this movie and uh, why it's on the list?
1: Yes, this is a movie that was really um, not widely seen, I think, for a long time, and it's one of those ones that I think maybe I had read about, but it got a release by Shock Factory, maybe, or something um, in the mid 2000s. And I got it on DVD, of course, at Best Buy because I was an addict. Um, so it's a Giallo. Um, it's a very slow burn Giallo. The basic premise is um, the Stefano is this art restorer slash you know he's basically he restores art and he's hired to go to this town and restore the frescoes of this painter um who was famous in the town by the um the priests of the local church or no i'm sorry he's hired by this guy um uh oh, shit he's hired by this like patron of the arts to restore the artwork of this long day guy named lignani lignani Legnani? um who is known as the um oh, fuck. what do they call him the painter of no i should have taken notes because all this stuff is very like flowery like italian shit yeah, right. um so anyway so lignani uh was a guy who painted people in their like dying states or in tremendous pain because that's where he grew like drew inspiration Mm. so he would sit on someone's deathbed and paint them as they were dying or um the movie opens with a slow motion scene of torture of a person to the um the depiction of saint sebastian which is the guy with all the arrows in him right um with a overplaying of this like sonorous like Italian voice talking about all the colors of my body like coming out and um using pain to like create art and uh so Stefano starts to restore the fresco and finds that it is this depiction of Saint Sebastian with these two like horrifying like hag-like creatures sort of standing on either side of him um and him being like you know peppered with the arrows um He finds that people in town are really standoffish, like no one really wants to talk to him. Um, He starts to have an affair with uh, this young school teacher. Um, He ends up getting kicked out of his apartment he's living in in town and put into this house with this old um, uh, paralytic woman upstairs. Um, So there's a lot of really slow like creeping mystery again like much like who can kill a child at the beginning of this movie where he's trying to investigate the why of what happened to this guy and um he disappeared and nobody like uh, no one will tell him what happened to him initially then he finds out that the guy lit himself on fire and sort of like just ran off and killed himself and that he had spent time as an expat like with his sisters and his mother in brazil is that right somewhere in south america um he came back without the mother with just two sisters and um it's then implied that there was like maybe some incestuous stuff that happened between him and the sisters and this is all stuff that stefano is learning just from like talking to people and sort of like researching so finds that he lived in this place called the house with laughing windows which is this abandoned um house on the outskirts of town and let me tell you something that this was filmed in some part of Italy that I guess is like seldom used for film, mm-hmm. and it is one of the most like alien landscapes I think yeah of it it's crazy because like you when you watch European movies, you have typical ideas of what France looks like, what Italy looks like, you know um Spain has a certain look to it, but a lot of those um spaghetti westerns and horror movies were filmed in these areas that were like lesser used because it's not venice or naples or rome or um florence or whatever you know it's just this like little province in the south of italy that's got these moors and brambles and winding like desolate roads so it it feels um it's alien or just it's so completely like different than what you're used to seeing and it has this otherworldly quality to it yeah, uh, so I, anyway, I, I
0: really wish the transfer had been better because I was I was actually really interested in the location a lot because it did look so different. Even like the village and the town looked very different from yeah, yeah. other towns
1: in that area. I'm really disappointed. I could not find my DVD of this movie, um, which was a, a beautiful, like perfect transfer. Yeah, and you lose a little bit because. So did you watch the transfer on YouTube or did you the one on YouTube? It's not available anywhere. Um it's very dark the transfer on youtube so there's things that are missing especially like small details that kind of build um long story short uh stefano keeps investigating and people start getting killed around him uh, people that he knows because he's digging too much into this man's life um him and the girl uh, move into the house together um and they start like having weird experiences where she feels like she's being watched and um at one point he goes uh there's (laughs) the funniest character in the movie is um fuck what is his name uh coppola
0: coppola um
1: who's this guy that initially is just the dude that like used to drink too much so people in the town are still down with him but they just won't let him drink anymore and stefano ruins this man like starts getting him drinking again and Then he's like the taxi driver and he gets fired from being a taxi driver because he's too drunk. Like So Stefano ruins this man's life and eventually gets him killed. Um, I love his character because it's like that actor is so looks so like wide-eyed and credulous like every time he delivers a line where it's he's just like ah oh, you know i i gotta go to the next town to even get a little bit of campari uh-huh. and stefano is like nah I, I got this whole bottle of wine like, <laughs> right. do you want, want me to keep pouring it for you and it's like oh, i'll tell you everything uh-huh. um so they are they also um Avanti does a good job of building a pseudo supernatural element to it um in terms of like windows opening on their own and things moving and there's a scene where they go to plug this old reel to reel player in that they found and it shorts everything out, but then the player turns on anyway. And it's uh, mm-hmm. the voice from the beginning of the movie. Um, this uh, Lignani like talking about, you know, the colors of his body and yeah. painting with through pain and um, basically turning your back on God. And it's, it's repeated throughout the movie. So it becomes almost like the soundtrack of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's really well done. Um so village pervert tries to rape uh francesca i guess is her name which is the school teacher um while stefano is out like researching or oh, that, that's when they're at the house of laughing windows and they're digging up the bones yeah um so he comes home and she can't find her and then he goes upstairs and he finds her um trussed up like in the attic with um basically like mutilated he goes to get the police and when they come back her body's gone and no one will really believe him um so he goes back to the house and realizes that the old woman's not upstairs and when he goes upstairs there's these two women who are um stabbing uh leno i guess his name or this the pervert to death right um and you find out that it's the two sisters and they've kept the body of their brother like immersed in they call it something but it's some like preservative liquid um and it's just this floating like desiccated corpse like Mm -hmm. in this like water um really effective scene and so they stab stefano and he runs away and gets away from him like gets on um uh like moped Coppola's little moped like his vespa Um, no one in the town will open their windows to him you know and they cut to inside it's almost like a kitty genovese thing where he's like begging for his life and no one will let him in so he finally gets back to the church where the the fresco was and the priest lets him in and he's sitting there sort of like spilling like oh my god they were alive the whole time how have they been alive this whole time um you know it's his sister's and it turns out that the fucking priest is one of the sisters Mm -hmm. uh which is one of the craziest reveals you'll ever see where he takes off his frock and he's wearing like the still bloodied like gown that he was wearing when Mm -hmm. he was stabbing him the night before with this like desiccated like breasts like hanging out and the other sister who was the paralytic comes out and they end up um implied is that they murdered stefano but most giallo i think when you're watching it well i don't know so first of all this movie looks really great um just from the setting and the way it's filmed uh, avante does a fantastic job of like framing shots and the way that he holds shots for a long time and sort of builds tension through kind of folk like keeping his characters off center and focusing sort of away from them almost in the way he frames the shot Mm -hmm. to sort of make you always look in like the corners of the screen when you're watching this movie which i think is a really effective way to kind of build that like uncertainty in in your own mind when you're watching it um characters in the town are all this is again like similar to what we were talking about with um to the devil a daughter but the idea that there's Sort of like a under unspoken conspiracy between everybody where they act like they want to help them, or like the, the Wicker Man, another great example, you mm-hmm. know, where they like they act like they want to help them, they act like they want to be cooperative, but then really like people are kind of undercutting them at every turn. Um, I think that it's the right bar, and I, this is another one where the dude that plays Stefano just kind of looks like. like he works in a library but all he does is shelve books and it's basically drained all emotion out of his body cuz he doesn't really like have emotive negative reactions until francesca dies and i also think that's a great thing too is i think they build they build their relationship in a way where it's sort of believable and you kind of feel like that they love each other um, and so when he starts to break down from kind of just like the negative influence of all this like death that's around him and um, his obsession with this guy who was obsessed with death himself. Yeah, um, it makes it really believable um, and it's pretty yeah. powerful. And then when she dies, man, like I was so upset watching this movie the fir- for the first time, you know, yeah. a decade and a half ago when they show that she's dead because i liked her so much sure. like i liked that character and then to just kill her yeah and not even give you the satisfaction of really seeing like how she dies because she's basically like fighting off a rapist yes and then it cuts to it's beaver, extremely effective beaver yep. face library like sitting <laughs> there with um coppola like digging up some bones and then you know like coming back and she's gone um I, look, I, let me quickly, Capelicchio
0: does nothing different than Richard Widmark does in uh, To the Devil, Daughter. Like, it's the same damn performance. Like, <laughs> you know he's, what it is? He's, he's, it's he's nonplussed, like, largely by a lot of the things that he's seeing. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's investigative. He wants to kind of, like, figure things out. Like, you know, I mean, but he, he he's, he's, he's fine on this.
1: It's the beard, man. It's the beard yeah. and the hair. Like there's something about the way he looks where I just like looks like looks like, like a looks like Fisher Stevens. Yeah, yeah man. I just take him seriously. Fisher yeah. Stevens, Fisher Peanuts. <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck that means.
0: Um, fuck. Now I want you to draw Fisher Peanuts later, but go ahead. Sorry,
1: but it's the craziest ending. Um, I yeah. love. There's other movies like The Church and I was trying to think of this earlier when I the other day when I was watching it because there's The Church and there's another movie, maybe one of Lamberto Babas, um, that involve like an art restorer somebody that's responsible for, you know, like cultivating or restoring like lost art, um, getting involved in some, you know, terrible like mystery or sequence of events. Um, But I love the fact that, like, he's continuously just trying to, like, even to the end of the movie, trying to restore pieces of that fresco and trying to learn about like Nani as much as he can. Um, I think it's very atmospheric. I love the fact that, like, they're continuously playing bits from that reel to reel. Yeah. So it kind of gets almost like, um, I don't know, like like a cant or a mantra, like, stuck in your head. Um, The ending is fucking batshit the first time <laughs> mm-hmm. you see it because the scene with him going into the house and going upstairs and them like stabbing um, lenio to death um, is really shocking because at that point you haven't seen very much that's that like direct and then him getting away and no one helping him so like that feeling yeah. that he's just abandoned and stranded and then when he finally goes into the church and they reveal that that's one of the sisters, she's just really ugly that she looks like a, like a 60 year old priest. Right. Um, and you realize that like, he's done, like, it's just, it's so well done. Right. And we, we talked about a movie a few years ago um, called uh, oh, shit. The monster club. It was an Elvira movie. Yeah. The, yeah. um, the, the segment that i love in that movie is about the ghouls that live in the town and like there's something so hopeless about the idea of like someone getting away and then immediately getting sucked back in it's like one of the most effective things in texas chainsaw when sure you think that sally has um escaped and she gets to the gas station and then chef is there like beating her with the broom and putting mm-hmm. her in a bag you know and mm-hmm it's like that hopelessness and you know the deflatedness and yeah just that feeling where like he's been stabbed but he feels like he's somewhere safe and he's telling his story yeah. and then all and of to, a sudden and to end on that's
0: really um kind of like a gutsy yeah like, very bleak yeah
1: um yeah it's a pretty i know that there's people who are really big fans of giallo and horror like eli roth and i think tarantino really like this movie a lot but it's one of those ones where it's kind of been lost to time and um i wish that one of the companies that puts out movies like maybe vinegar syndrome or arrow um, shutter would find this movie and like find the restoration of it and put it out where people can see it um you can watch it on youtube the transfer on youtube is fine enough where you won't like miss anything but you lose something in the graininess of it and the fact that it's very um very dark it's, it's 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 much darker than it really should be like there's a lot more one of the things that makes the movies kind of so effective is that there's a lot of light in this movie like a lot of it takes place during the day mm-hmm. um, whereas a lot of giallo you know just by design needs to take place at night because it's about like hiding the killer or whatever but here <clears throat> it's more about not that the killer is in hiding but that the main character it's in hiding from the main character and he's trying to find it um so you see a lot of stuff that's like in the sun and in the day and um just that creeping dread that sort of like infuses the movie and builds over the course of it is really well done
0: yeah in fact they like try to like not do stuff with the night until the end and it makes the night stuff more effective yeah
1: exactly yeah yeah um, you know, because he's there like just to restore that fresco and he sure. thinks that he's just yeah. doing his job and then he right. becomes obsessed with it but yeah um really surprised when I found this movie I don't I think it was something where we were just at Best Buy and it was there and I was <laughs> like fuck it it's like ten dollars right. or I'll check it out um and then completely blown away by it the first time I saw it I'm really surprised it never forced you to watch it to be honest with you yeah. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if that movie isn't with somebody else then. That's like probably. maybe I gave it to somebody to watch and they never gave it back to me. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Because I, I I watched this movie twice the first weekend week that I got it. We probably went to Best Buy on a Monday, so I probably watched it like I watched it that night and I definitely watched it again that week. Um, and I've seen it a few times since then, but yeah, just one of my favorite examples of Giallo. Um, I think it hits all the marks. I love that you have the feeling that there might be something supernatural until they Mm kind of like pull the rug out from under you. Um, Yeah. Really just really great movie. Yeah. This is so far um,
0: nowhere near as many as you, but I've watched a lot of Giallo's this year because of the seventies and combined with the ones I've seen before. And I think this is my favorite in terms of story pacing red herrings twists like and all those kind of things um i think it's just the best written one that i've seen so far like the the ending's far-fetched to some degree i guess but it's like it's 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 no more far-fetched than you know the lame psychological pseudo like pseudo sexual psychological complications that led to somebody murdering people
1: like you know well so like bird with crystal plumage right or (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, deep red or tanabra or whatever like all those movies they all have a similar theme which you know either or giallo but um he's just the dude wasn't like the painter was insane he was obsessed with pain and torture Mm -hmm. and his sisters were obsessed with him to the point where they want to continue to like feed this spirit of him in this fucking glass box and it's like I mean, once you've taken the leap of suspension of disbelief in any other giallo, like how much more difficult right. is that? Sure. Agreed. And they it's, don't it's... do, they don't do anything to give you a clue that that's, what's going to happen. So when it happens, it's so shocking that I really feels earned like the first time you see it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, look, it's not, it's not as colorful and stylistic as, as a lot of the other giallos, particularly since sergeant did so many of them. Um, but it has its own unique look that i think that's why i wish i would have gotten seen a better transfer of it um because it it, it feels different from the other giallo's just in the way it looks as well that i've seen um so yeah i really like this movie i, I thought of it that so uh, again another really great movie i think this
1: year um yeah um and i enjoyed watching it yeah definitely worth watching um especially if you enjoy giallo so all right, so number 1A
0: on your list is The Witch Who Came From the Sea. It is directed by Matt Simber. Stars Millie Perkins, Lonnie Chapman, Vanessa Brown, and Rick Jason. It has an 82% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a so 33% from audiences. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about this and why it is 1A on your list?
1: Um, I think this is one of the most... Uh, daring movies in the 1970s in terms of horror um i definitely think it's one of the most unflinching in terms of how it looks at like so one of the cheap tricks of horror in the 70s is the idea that childhood sexual trauma leads to someone becoming a murderer later in Mm -hmm. life or whatever um and the reason that it's a cheap trick is because there's nothing really invested in it except for some you know woodwinds and some woman going like as you see a flashback and then all of a sudden like that's the reason why this guy turned into a priest and murdered like 15 children or whatever right Um, that's who saw her die and that's a great fucking movie too but anyway (laughs) um, but this movie is a real just kind of like examination and deconstruction of the psyche of a woman who they slowly build her outward persona to you and then her inner persona to herself and then her secret inner persona and all those three things together like melding into like the end of this movie Mm -hmm. um so uh molly is um an alcoholic who uh, babysits her sister's children Um, her sister is a her sister is the worst performance in this movie I just want to get that out there from the beginning It's like um, Fuck I can't say that because it's way too mean Uh It's like Kathy Bates if She was Channeling Estelle Costanza I was going to say the woman From um, uh, All in the Family But mm. yeah Estelle Costanza that, that works Edith yeah, yeah Edith from yeah. All in the Family mm-hmm with a quart of bourbon continuously pouring through her veins. like she has the shakes, she's unsteady, her delivery's off. she's got a weird accent, you know, but she's still there plugging away. um so Molly lives with her Molly takes care of her sister's kids. um her sister's kids love her because she's continuously kind of living in this fantasy world where um she talks about her father who was lost at sea when she was a child and who was a great captain and who was beloved by his crew um she builds this fantasy world within her nephew's heads um you could you see from an early the early part of the movie like basically the beginning of the movie she's obsessed with the male physique she's obsessed with muscles um she fixates on men's bodies Um, and fixates on the idea of someone being famous and having a nice body Um, there's a scene where she's watching a commercial for razors where she sees this man who's a professional football player um, or she's watching a football game on tv and they're talking about this man who's a professional football player and she's got to go to work at this bar but she says you know i got to drink before i can go and then there's this incredibly long and you don't know if it's a fantasy sequence or a flashback sequence at the time of her seducing and tying up these two men who turn out to be like members of the falcons i guess and um drugging them and then mutilating them with a straight razor like their genitals although it's done off screen um and murdering them uh which really creepy and horrific the way that it's done and incredibly uncomfortable like her performance um so then it
0: cuts filmed like a fantasy it is it is so
1: you think that she's like just has it in her head Mm -hmm. um so it cuts back and then she goes to work and you find out that these two men were actually murdered and there's a gap in time between where she left her sister's house and when she got to the bar um so then at the bar they meet this guy who's a famous actor and they go to his house and he wants to kind of like have sex with her but rough her up and she basically breaks his wrists And then makes it seem like he beat her up, um, which leads to her having an affair with this guy who's an actor. Um, And she ends up uh, kind of falling in love with him and then she murders him too. Um, Culminating in the scene where she's bloody in her, so her her quote unquote boyfriend is her boss at this bar that she works at the um, boathouse. Um, who sort of takes advantage of the fact that she's an alcoholic and she's kind of like promiscuous, um, although he seems to genuinely care about her. So, over the course yes. of the movie, you see scenes of her as a child, like interacting with her father, um, because the sister continuously says that her father was a bastard and that he did bad things to her, although it doesn't come out until the end, like what those things were. Um, so, you see scenes of him, like them watching TV together and doing stuff, and then a scene of him curled up naked in the closet when she comes home from school and then you finally find out that what happened was is he died of a heart attack while he was raping her as like a 12 year old or something or a child mm-hmm. Um, which led to her like he had all these boat motifs and it led to her creating this psychological persona where he's this great man that loved her and took care of her and was just lost at sea and that's why he's gone um and he had a mermaid tattooed on him yeah so she gets a mermaid tattooed on her and she thinks of herself as a mermaid and there's also there's some references really i mean the the script so the movie was written by the husband of the woman that plays molly um as he was terminally ill and was dying basically so they were writing this movie as a way to generate money to help pay for his expenses so he would get paid for writing it and she would get paid for acting in it um this the script for this movie is phenomenal like it's so good and the way that it introduces concepts um the conversation between her would-be rapist the television actor about the venus to milo where she kind of explains like where he's explaining the venus to her um and she's sort of like becoming intrigued by the idea because it's this thing that's like emerging from water Mm-hmm. You know this goddess or whatever um there's also some subtle references to the Wake of the Medusa, and I don't know if you're familiar with that painting, but that's the one with the men on the raft with like all the dead bodies around um oh yeah, mm-hmm. she envisions herself having this like basically crew of the dead, yeah, um, and I think kind of an inspiration for Alan Moore in a uh, Watchman with the uh, Tales of the Black Flag or whatever, um because there's very similar stuff in there mm-hmm. uh, um, so, uh, yeah. but just the way that it builds like her where you see kind of the crack in the facade from her but you can see how other people would be kind of fooled into thinking that she's just you know she has trouble with alcohol or whatever but she's not a bad person like she's nice and friendly and um maybe a little promiscuous but not you know the way they build the case against her and basically build it to the end where she admits what happened to her and is sort of like breaking down to the assisted suicide from um long john who's the guy that owns the bar and is her like erstwhile like boyfriend or whatever um because he loves her so much he doesn't want her to go to jail but you know she has to stop like doing what she's doing um there's movies that are much more exploitive than this movie that i find are not as effective so something that's sort of similar is um and from around kind of the same time um i spit on your grave so a movie about you know a woman being like physically and sexually assaulted and psychologically assaulted and then turning into someone who gets revenge on her killers or rapists, whereas Molly is someone who has all those things happen and then is continuously trying to get the same affection and recognition that she felt from her father and also punish him for what she what he did to her simultaneously through other men. Um, when I saw this movie for the first time, it was revelatory, maybe almost like mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that this movie existed and I had never heard of it because right. um, I don't think I watched this until maybe like 06 or 07. Like it was later in. It was when I was like really in like the middle of my horror glut in terms of like just consuming everything I could horror wise. Um blown away by her performance uh, i think it's one of the uh strongest psycho performances that doesn't veer into caricature or she's amazing in this yeah mm-hmm.
0: um
1: it's controlled and it's vicious but sweet um there's menace to it and there's vulnerability to it simultaneously um it's just really really well done and counterbalanced by um the guy that plays uh long john um who also does a great job i think just mm-hmm. kind of having this <sighs> you know like you're you're watching people that function in the nighttime you know on the outskirts of a major city so they're it's like a Buk-
0: Bukowski, like yeah
1: it, that's well, that's a really good you know, description yeah. right they're they're barflies it's like yeah like watching trees lounge but you know 20 years prior yeah um yeah just really great performances it's really well filmed it does a great job of blending the idea of fantasy and reality so you're not ever quite sure if what you're seeing is actually happening and she's such an unreliable narrator that you can't ever trust that what she thinks may have happened has happened right i think that it's I think that it's gory and graphic without being like over the top. I mean, it's very much in the same arena as kind of Texas Chainsaw there, where you know when she's like cutting the man's penis apart with the straight razor, um, as he's like writhing and screaming while he's like tied up and gagged. They never actually show you like anything really. Like her, I'll tell you the the first thing that makes me really uncomfortable in this movie is i mean it's it's that scene so she's taking these two men back to her room and they're smoking um, hash together and getting high and sort of like making overtures that they're gonna have a threesome with her um and she's tying them up because she says that's like her kink mm-hmm. there's a point where after she ties them up where she grabs the man's achilles and it's right before he says that that's what she's doing but you can see it's what she's doing hmm And it's like there's something in the way that she moves and looks where her face just kind of like falls and like freezes and Mm -hmm. it's like she stops being this like seductive like nymphette and is all of a sudden this cold like creature that's in control of the situation and the way that it's filmed is you can see her realize it and you can see him realize it Mm -hmm. and her gain like all this like power from it and him immediately lose like because he thinks he's in control of the situation up to that point and then he realizes that he's not and he's put himself in a bad place and he's not going to get out of it right and then from that point on like the control that she shows and like the modulation of her tone and just the way that she carries herself it's just so it's it's amazing Such such a great fucking movie and it it tackles like one of the more difficult things you can talk about which is you know like child abuse mm-hmm. in a way that's not gross super grotesque or exploitive aside from the fact that like thinking or talking about that stuff is always going to be you know uncomfortable but it it doesn't do it as an excuse for what she does you know it it does it as a it doesn't it doesn't just as
0: an explanation right i mean it's it's rough
1: watching that scene yeah where he rapes her right yeah and then dies on top of her and she yeah. pushed it in. and Ugh. her her screaming like all of it's just really difficult yeah. to watch yeah and intercut throughout like the entire movie with these like almost like bucolic like calming scenes of like the ocean rolling in and And it's crazy because, like, they're on, I guess, Muscle Beach because there's the guys working out at the beginning where she's fantasizing about murdering them. Yeah, Um, yeah, Venice Beach, sorry. Um, Just almost, like, desolate. Like, it's always always like you almost are seeing everything from, like, a three-quarter version of her perspective, and you can't believe anything that you're seeing. But it just makes it really compelling. So, I mean, honestly, one of my favorite... Um, horror movies, maybe of all time, but definitely of the 70s. Like I, I really love this movie a lot um, for a lot of reasons, and I, it's it's available a lot of places to stream. But it's I on still Prime kind of right think, now. Yeah, yeah, it's Prime. It's on Tubi. Um, it's on yeah. uh, um, Arrow has it up right now. Um, the Arrow restoration is, is is just really nice. Like it's a really good cut.
0: I have to watch um, it on there.
1: Yeah, but definitely worth watching. Like I really love this movie a lot. And, um, I think it's very underrated and. Um, deserves more recognition than it than it gets yeah i watched it two years ago
0: um when you first like put it on some list for me or something like that um things that were available and it was not was i was expecting at all when i like started playing this movie um i was not expecting like an intense like psychological um horror movie about a barfly. fly like i just wasn't uh she's like you said she's absolutely fantastic in this um she reminds me it's really funny um the guy that directed this Matt Simber as I was doing some research he is the inspiration for the Mark Marone character in Glow because this is Simber is the guy who wanted and directed Glow for three years in the in the mid-80s um he was an exploitation director, um, largely like throughout most of his career in the '60s and early '70s, and um, which is a interesting like connection. The thing that I like when I look at Millie Perkins in this movie, I was trying to think even before I knew that I was trying to think of who she looked like. That she looks like a modern actress. She looks like Allison Brie.
1: Yeah, very similar. That's that's good. Um,
0: and and uh, almost acts in a very similar style. Like they they have similar, like almost like in the way that they act, they have very similar styles. Um, I don't, I I looked up Millie Perkins to see like what she did. It seemed like that there was some shit that she did that, like she played Anne Frank in the 59 diary Diary of Anne Mm -hmm. Frank. Like, you know, and it's like she was in some Nicholson movies um, in the sixties. Looking at things like afterwards she had a role on wall street and stuff like that but like i don't know how she didn't get more because this is an absolute and i don't say like flowery language like this this is like a tour de force performance yeah in this movie um it's incredible what she accomplished here especially with the subject matter at this point is just it's pretty astounding and while i raved about the little girl lives down the lane um like this this is another one that's like i'd seen it before but it's like definitely i think uh people should watch um like it's it's so much better to me than the giallo movies are
1: well because
0: i mean if you're dealing with very similar subjects matter yeah but
1: this is more of a labor of love i don't know how to explain it like the giallo movies are made from a mindset where all right, i'm going to be a little like i guess i'm going to stereotype a little bit but the mindset of like a lot of europe and especially italy in the 60s and 70s is that everything there's something behind everything like there can't just be like a psychological reason for something happening it's like that guy got touched by his mom when he was four and now he murders people right like there's right. no right subtle bridge between cause and effect right so mm-hmm. they don't really care about psychology they just care about explaining why right. the person's killing to the point where you don't mind seeing them get killed because mm-hmm. uh, oh well he's a pervert or he's a pedophile or you know he was molested um, and it's a very old world interpretation of like why things happen. So which that came from the sea, um, has a lot more nuance to it because I think it comes from a place of actual and maybe a little wrong headed but actual like interest in the psychology behind right. this character like it's mm-hmm. it's it's not a murder mystery because there's never a mystery about who's doing the murders right you know the mystery is what's inside this person that's doing the murders like how can this person that can be like sweet and loving and a great aunt to these two kids like almost like much better mom than the actual mom and Mm -hmm. how can she be like such a horrible you know do these horrible things to somebody and doesn't make her a horrible person and that's why in the end i think it's so powerful that he just lets her die peacefully through an overdose to let her like sail away basically on this wave of like, you know, self-medicated like euthanasia Mm -hmm. and she can imagine herself as that captain of that vessel. Like that was sort of the thing that let her suppress the memory of like what her father did to her over the course of her whole life. I mean that and alcohol. Right. So, and it's never so blasé as it like wants to come out and just explain it. It just presents it and lets you make the connections and lets you explain it yourself. And um i mean i love giallo as a genre i think they're ridiculous and fun to watch but that's what they're meant to be they're just meant to be entertainment you know like fucking right avante is probably the closest actually trying to like tell you something Mm -hmm. about the connection between like and like a whatever like it's a tale of obsession is what house of laughing windows is but it's still not even a character study. Like, this is 100%, you know, a very personal performance and um, a brilliant deconstruction of, you know, the mental state of a character and just a really difficult, but, you know, challenging and rewarding movie, I think, to watch, like, overall. So
0: yeah, so last thing I have for you here about this movie is you mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast about the video nasties um from what I could tell this was the first movie that's on any list from this decade that is a video nasty. Um is it like can you explain to me is it the like how is this a video nasty but um you know who can kill a child isn't
1: or um who can or- kill a child may never been released in
0: yeah or or the the house with laughing windows or something like that probably
1: like never a, released in Britain, really would be my guess yeah I mean so many other Italian movies are that are on this list, like um I mean, it would have had to have been something that was a wide release video I mean that's where it came from, you know, it was the stuff that was released on v h s that got the attention of the British um censorship board. I mean, the video nasty stuff was also more so ideologically maybe who can kill a child and house of laughing windows are just as um challenging but visually they're not you know what i mean like the idea of the woman like masturbating a man with a straight razor to kill him and sort of graphically showing that is a lot worse than you know two crazy women trying to reenact the killing of saint sebastian or I, I don't i don't know enough about the history of like what isn't on there to answer that but i do yeah. know that the stuff that was on there was stuff that the british censors found to be um obscene immoral um having a potential detrimental effect on children if they saw it um her uh blasphemous or sacrilegious um or just overtly violent to the point where violence superseded the plot of the movie right yeah and i'm not gonna lie to you like
0: it feels i've i've looked at this list a number of times over the years this feels all very arbitrary 70
1: percent of it the movies are terrible that are on this list i mean there's some stuff that's really good but all it took was somebody finding a reason to say that this could have an adverse effect on the mind of a person that watched it and right. it got slapped on that list sure. so yeah. and a lot of it was sensationalism you know what i mean they were afraid of murderers coming out of like watching horror movies and people getting ideas of doing terrible things or the corruption of the youth of britain but i don't know like that list is so yeah, yeah. to your point like arbitrary and terrible okay. and who knows like uh, who knows what vhs distribution was like in britain and sure the 1980s i mean they might not have had as many avenues of distribution where america has you know hollywood and they're bringing movies in all the time and then yeah
0: they, yeah true, sure.
1: like this kind of the genesis of like well japan and america the genesis points of like the cultural revolution of the vhs which is what caused the video nasties in the first place um so who knows i don't know yeah. i wish i had more information on it but yeah
0: yeah, the prosecution was unsuccessful eventually, but it was in the second wave of video nasties. Um, oh, all right. Uh, yeah, really enjoyable movies um, on this list this week, so I was glad to either watch them for the first time or rewatch them, Frank.
1: And one of the greatest things about the 70s in general with film, and we we talk about this all the time, but I really mean this, is that it's the last it's the last real time period until the mid to late nineties where directors were just allowed to make movies like where someone would give some director a couple hundred thousand dollars just to go do something, to go experiment or to kind of like follow their vision. And so you get these movies that are just these incredible, like incredibly intimate, you know, portrayals of something, whatever it is and really we talked about this on the spencer grin a couple of weeks ago but you got heaven's gate and then it kind of ruins it for everybody you know like nobody wants to invest money in a movie that's going to bomb or that's going to be critically like lampooned or mm-hmm. you know turn the studio into a joke so um it kind of ruins like major studio whatever and then the people that were willing to invest in horror they didn't want to invest in experimental like art house horror they wanted to invest in a sure thing so you know we'll do a slasher movie like the prowler or something whatever and i love the prowler but still just like some boilerplate slasher movie that we know we can put in the theater to three thousand screens in the course of like three weeks and quadruple our investment and then just be done with it um rather than something that might be challenging so yeah and not not to say there isn't interesting movies from the 80s and stuff that really
0: they just co- the, the the quantity of them decreases
1: also if because well so that's the other thing too is that the glut of vhs direct to, direct to home video horror movies just explodes like six years after this movie came out and um or these movies came out and anybody could make a movie you know like orion our friend orion and i we watch movies all the time that are shot on vhs from like the mid to late 80s -hmm. and i think that we find a lot of charm in them but ultimately you're not watching a good movie you know what i mean you're watching something that maybe is a labor of love but more likely than not it's just like a passion project from someone who just felt like they needed to make a movie so Mm -hmm. you're still getting like true artistic effort on actual film at this point in the 1970s and it just makes it look better and makes it feel better so right.
0: yeah all right well um we'll be back here next month with the top five different category for us frank top five best sound production movies oh yeah um and then the top five very subjective list top five most disappointing mm-hmm. movies um nah, man
1: that was subjective as shit
0: and then um and then we'll be back at the end of the month with um the top five horror movies in 1977 so thank you for listening everybody and have a great week deuces